have, I have a perfect radio voice. Well, I don't know about that. It's true, it's a little high-pitched and whining. <laughs> Logan and Oakland, I'm Chad Rutherman. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Bayonetta. Bayonetta was released in 2009 uh, on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, um, and it was developed by Platinum Games and published by Sega. Uh, it was, however, incredibly conveniently re-released in 2016 on the Wii U. Uh, alongside Earlier than that. 20, maybe, maybe 2015? 2014. Yeah. Even. Wow. Okay, that's a 14 long time. or 15. Uh, on the Wii U and then... Uh, again, like three weeks ago on Steam on uh, on PC, and we actually did not plan that out. We yeah. had like picked Bayonetta and been like, "Huh, I just came out on the PC. How convenient!" <laughs> Surprisingly, Platinum just seems to be doing this now, which is weird because like we didn't know about the the PC release of Bayonetta. None of us are really tapped into like Platinum Games related news so much. I am a little, a little bit. Okay. I know Vanquish is coming out for the PC, and I'm yeah, happy about that. that. And that got announced while I was playing Bayonetta <laughs> to the point where when I closed the game, the Steam update window popped up and was like, "By the way, Vanquish is coming out," and I bought it immediately, uh, just from things I've heard about it, and because it was like fifteen bucks. So anyway, Bayonetta is a well, I, I've been calling this kind of uh, game a hack-and-slash game, but I guess, like, beat-em-up is almost more... Like, if you ignore the, the like, arcade context of, of, like, a double dragon or something. Yeah, I've heard it referred to as a beat-em-up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically these high, like, I want to say high-octane, but that's a dumb word. <laughs> uh, these fast-paced action games uh, that focus a lot on... on combos and what a lot of them thanks to Devil May Cry which is kind of the progenitor of all of this referred to as stylish combat uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry I get it under control I'll just I know stylish combat's gonna come up multiple times in the episode I need to well uh, that's not... like a trademark of the guy who directed Devil May Cry and oh yeah Bayonetta. Yeah, 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 and it comes from like when he used to play in the arcades. Like he said that like you were always like he always felt like he wanted to like be able to play the game well, but then also like make everything he was doing in the game look cool. So if you could play more stylishly, yeah, and that's something that uh, comes out. I mean, in in Devil May Cry, in the original Devil May Cry, and I presume in all of its sequels that I haven't played all of them. Whenever you get like the top rank combo it's always referred to as a stylish combo so uh it makes sense that's the kind it's that, that's just sort of the adjective that they want to be applied to these games mm-hmm. um though good good work uh finding like the only hideki kamiya paraphrase that could be like construed as positive <laughs> in any way yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll uh, get to in a bit. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm curious because uh, I I know my own history with these games. Um, being a big fan of Devil May Cry and actually the remake of Devil May Cry as well as some other uh, similar type games. I liked God of War for its combat, but like. I felt like it put in a lot of things that were unnecessary, which is a thing that's going to be a big part of this discussion as well. Yeah. Um, but do you guys like these games? Is this the first one you've ever played? 
I'm pretty alien to the genre. I um, have dabbled a little bit in uh, Devil May Cry. I think just the one that you hate, whatever one that was. Uh, DMC 4? Yeah, 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 that one. Uh, I remember I rented uh, DMC, just the, the remake that came out that everyone also hated for unrelated reasons. Yeah, everybody really hated that game, but I thought it was really good. Yeah, but I never completed either. Never even poured a lot of time into either. Uh, I feel like partially because I never felt like I was truly challenged by the system, certainly not in the way that Bayonetta has, which I think is one of the really positive things about the experience for me. Uh, but otherwise, uh, my sister actually tried to sort of like hoist Bayonetta onto me like a year <laughs> and a half or more ago. Uh, and that was problematic because uh, at the time I could only play it in an apartment where the TV was around other human beings. <laughs> so it was like a centralized TV apartment that I was not exclusive to. And I just kept looking at the cover out of the box and going like, ugh, mm, and then it ended up just giving it back to her despite her recommendation. And now realize that I was a stupid person and should have played it at the time because it's really good. Huh. Uh, Andy? Uh, I kind of, in the same way, I think I pr- played Devil May Cry for you know like an hour or something at a friend's house as a kid and same thing with god of war but like i never and i've always been interested in these kinds of games but have never actually played any of them until bayonetta yeah probably really unsurprising to listeners of this podcast but uh i feel as though some games with with a lot more deliberate combat that i've spent a lot of time with in the past couple of years uh have sort of spoiled me on this genre because it, it, the decision making process is such like a different thing than the games that I have been playing that it took me a while to get back into the mindset um, but it, it is it is just like that sort of very aggressive combat that made me a fan of this genre uh, I don't know like 15 years ago at this point oh, when geez. when Devil May Cry itself came out it's always been such like an uh, an underpopulated genre for whatever reason you rarely see things that are this fast and this mm-hmm. yeah i want to pin you on this though what i'm curious what you considered like the decision procedures that you're going through when you someone who's experienced in games of the genre play them like when you're at a moment to moment during gameplay what sort of things are you thinking about what are your goals well i mean a lot of the things in in games like this um at least in the ones that i've played so the the big ones that i've spent a lot of time with um i i hesitate to say that i've spent a lot of time with bayonetta doing one playthrough of it um but devil may cry dmc and the same thing applies in bayonetta in that your playstyle revolves a lot around uh around your weapon selection and uh, the way and DMC, this is one of the reasons I liked DMC so much, uh, was just because you could kind of go seamlessly between weapons. Like you by just holding a trigger, it altered whether you're using like your heavy weapon or your light weapon. And uh, in Bayonetta, you kind of have to make a more definitive choice. So a lot of the time, my decision making process when fighting enemies in this game tends to just be try to hit as many of them as possible. <laughs> Uh, with like, it, it, like I keep things in close quarters and then uh, just I don't know. Finish with heavy attacks. Save bosses for the end. Are you a combo guy? In this game or in previous games of the genre, have you ever like really gotten your hooks into a game like this enough to learn combo trees? Uh, 
okay, this is weird, I guess. In DMC, yes. In this game, no, but I could see myself doing it. Uh, weirdly, I never bothered to get good at fighting games, despite the fact that they use the same style of combat tree. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure. Fighting games, I think, are just a little bit too brutal for me, generally. <laughs> uh, I feel like at this point I need to, based on that statement, uh, offer like an apology immediately <laughs> to uh, anyone, like people who are fans of Platinum Games and people who are fans of Bayonetta, because I am bad at this game. <laughs> Like, I'm, I am not, like, good, and, like, I played through it on normal. I didn't have, like, a like a really hard time with it, but it was, uh, I, I got, like, getting, like, stone awards at the end of levels mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. makes me feel so bad. I like, think that's, like, what's supposed to happen on your first playthrough. Oh, it absolutely is. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, I recognize it as somebody who's, who's played games in the genre before. Because, like, yeah, in Devil May Cry, you're going to end up with a lot of C's and D's at the end of your chapters, and the incentive there is supposed to be to replay the level to get a higher score and, like, understand it more, and uh, this is, uh, due to the podcast and due to other factors that we'll get into, that just isn't, that wasn't a possibility in this game. Oh, yeah. We weren't going to, there was no reality in which, in, like, two weeks we were going to dig through and become like combo masters at any game now or in the future that we try mm-hmm. yeah uh, it, it, it is gonna be like a, I, I've given this game just on the outset the benefit of the doubt pretty uh, I cast a wide net on things that I think like I think this could be better but possibly if I was just better at it it wouldn't feel as, as big of a deal I think the game does a pretty fantastic job at being amazingly entertaining and tense, even at, like, low skill levels. Like, even during my first playthrough, I was surprised at how often I was getting, like, really intensely, like, drawn into scenarios and, like, sweating my ass off as, like, controllers are making all these clicking noises, despite, I'm sure, being complete shit at everything that's happening. Uh, But it's like, in the moment, you feel amazing, no matter what the difficulty is, just so long as that difficulty is toned to whatever is your appropriate level of challenge, like whatever is enough to sort of get you in that zone that these games need to to really be entertaining. Uh, it's the only it's only problematic, like, after a, a big lull at the end of the level when you get, like, a, a stupid fat guy farting in your face as yeah. in, in, like, trophy form. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's a good balance because uh, it's only, like, one second you have to deal with the game telling you your shit, and then the rest of the time you still feel as amazing <laughs> as the mechanics want you to feel. I'm here. Did anyone not play this on normal? I literally switched down to easy for one level because I was worried that I wasn't going to get it uh, done in time for the cast, and then went, "No, no, I'm not. This is this is disappointing." Went back to normal, yeah, uh, and it's why I am like an hour and a half late. I'm actually curious that you because you went to easy. uh, I know that easy has a thing that's called like automatic mode. Oh yeah, I was going to wonder what that actually meant. Yeah, I don't. uh, I've heard that it's like it's related to the combos. Like it will automatically complete combos or something for you. I, I don't really remember. Interesting. Or no. I did notice that not only were things that the enemies were doing and the enemies that were spawning was different during that one normal level, but the things that I was doing did change. I didn't dig into that, especially because it was just one chapter. Yeah. But I, I did notice that, like, I'm firing bullets at times when I'm not pressing any sort of the bullet buttons or the chains. I'm doing a whole lot more of the, uh, like, Wicked Weave finishers yeah. than I intentionally tried. So presumably that's the automated systems that you're talking about. And if so, that's also cool. Uh 
another... It's a really good way to do difficulties. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I think that... I mean, I, I imagine that if you're, like, a seasoned game player, that w- it would feel patronizing to you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, like... If you just could... Like, this game just wasn't for you, and you couldn't play it on normal, and so you toned it down to easy, uh, you would probably feel a little bit, like... Like, all right, game. Like, you don't have to, like, display how good I could be yeah. to me with this system. Yeah, that's, that's why I, I switched it back to normal pretty much instantaneously just as soon as I was done with the level because I realized that I wasn't sort of getting into that same, like, tense moments and zones because everything that I was doing was ending in, like, knocking people to the ground <laughs> and, like, ragdolling them around. Yeah. And it, it started to feel less like whatever the game Bayonetta was trying to be and more like Dynasty Warriors. It was just way more engaging when I manned up and played the game that it was meant to be played. Right. I I, I know that some people would argue that the way that this game is meant to be played is on hard. Uh, And Platinum does this, I want to say, pretty frequently with their games in that they made it so that you have to beat the game on normal to unlock hard mode because they treat normal difficulty as if it was a like tutorial for the real game. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of a thing that we're not going to be able to breach, but I have to give credit where it's due because it, it it's a game that encourages you to uh, it encourages you to learn the game, like the the systems and how everything works and through the metal system practice it to the point where you're actually good at what it's asking you to do mm-hmm. and it incentivizes that too like with the trophies and everything like they want you to play this game more than once mm-hmm. they really want you to know how it works when i first heard about that because i've dabbled in platinum games before i've actually played like vanquish i think at one point and maybe other things that i don't even remember whether or not they were platinum games but i've dabbled and i know about that stereotype for them and I remember before I really started digging, especially to this game, I thought that like a little voice in the back of my head was saying that that might be like a bad design choice. Like you're, it, it seems like somewhat lazy of them instead of to build it into like a full difficulty curve out within one playthrough that really moves with you and moves with the pace of the story to just allow things to reset and move up the difficulty. But playing this game has actually changed my mind about that. And it's specifically because the amount of complexity in the systems at some point when you're trying to make an action game like this where you have so many decision points about what you can just physically do at any given time, that's you just got to accept that people aren't going to be able to learn that in like five hours. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, and you can tell from the way that this game was made, that they couldn't make this game if it was 40 or 50 hours long with the budget that they had. Right. So, you, you can tell even in the base game where there were a few corners that got cut. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You fight in that same plaza, like, area, I think four times. Yeah, like, the where, like, you first run into Luca in the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty... Uh, yeah, at least four. Pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. The really, like, economic use mm-hmm. of cutscenes there. Which, by the way, I support. As funny as it is, and we're, we're poking fun at, like, haha, we can tell that you didn't have enough money to actually animate this. <laughs> they still had more money than we do. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it was a great decision, given their financial limitations about how to deal with cutscenes like this. And frankly, I, I think it's way preferable to either having, like, no cutscenes, no animation, or bad animation in place of anything else. Because this game relies like so heavily on animation quality and like the quality of character movements to sell 
like particularly what the protagonist is and what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's a thing where because like Bayonetta herself is so small on screen most of the time that they have to really exaggerate. I like I would like to credit uh, this for the reason why Bayonetta has legs that are three miles high. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may or may not actually be the reason, mm-hmm. but uh, because of her like very lanky figure, it makes it very obvious what she's doing at any given time. Mm-hmm. So it it uh, it definitely helps with that kind of selling it with that animation. Yeah. Yet the animation in this game is pretty fantastic. You can tell they even reused it. Like not just did they reused set pieces and levels. They reused her animations all the time. When you're like walking in and out of the gates of hell, that's just her like standard walk animation that she's right. going through there. Yeah, I remember seeing those cutscenes for the first time and thought that it was a stylistic choice because they had done a like a fully animated like pre-rendered cutscene yeah. a minute before. But then that became the norm, and it kind of became more clear to me that. Even if it's a little jarring the first time you see the like their wind physics, but that's it cutscenes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that was like a it was a it was a choice that was made due to a like a limitation, yeah. and they made I, the best of it. Yeah, I, like, I actually found it kind of charming. Like one thing that I really liked about this game is that it felt like playing like a last generation game. Like and then like I just haven't played too many of those recently. Like it just felt. Something about playing an older game felt good to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way that, like, it's discrete levels with yeah. a, a shop in between them without any sort of, like, narrative conceit for why that shop is happening and mm-hmm. you're just buying power-ups and finding stuff. Yeah, it was very, yeah, stuff very video gamey. And and also, I mean, that's straight out of Dumb May Cry. Yeah. There's so many things that I could point to that come, like, from the first Devil May Cry just ported directly into Bayonetta. Yeah, and the texturing felt, I thought, a lot like um, the textures in, like, Resident Evil 4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are definitely some elements of that as well. Yeah, there was, like, a weird familiarity to that that mm-hmm. also felt good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a... <laughs> Man, there's a lot to, to get into here. I, I, I gotta say, though, based on your discussions, and despite myself saying that... Uh, I give this game a lot of the benefit of the doubt in areas that I didn't find it to be super, like, polished. Yeah. I actually am, am not real high on this game as a as a whole. Hmm. And uh, I think that based on... Because I've played Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. And, uh, oh, played an hour of that, too. It's another yeah. platinum game I forgot about. <laughs> and I've played about an hour and a half of Nier Automata. And I get the feeling, based on these three games and the distance that they're spaced apart, I have to imagine that Bayonetta 2 is probably, like, just a great action game. Because <laughs> I think that it, it, with any additional polish, this game could really take a step up from being sort of like a run-of-the-mill action Dove May Cry-style hack-and-slash game to something that is actually just really compelling. Are you talking about mechanical polish or sort of like ancillary polish, like the sort of cutting corners we've been talking about, or even just story things? Purely mechanical polish. There are a lot of things in this game that I felt like... that you can even draw direct correlations to to this year's Nier. Last year's Nier? I forget if... I think that came out this year. Yeah, it was in March. I remember we were commenting on this. Um, That... uh, the biggest example, the one that I found to be, like, the absolute low point of the game uh, has a direct corollary in Nier, 
and uh, the thing that I want to raise um, the motorcycle segment. Yeah, is like a is just a trash fire. Like <laughs> I have no idea how that made it into like they wanted her to have a sequence where she's on a bike. Yes, and they were like, anything you do where she's on a bike is fine by us, and we'll put it in the game. <laughs> the animation is bad. The physics are bad. It looks bad. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. It is insanely easy, except for a, like, 30-second span of time where everything kills you in one hit when you're driving into the opposite lane. But even then, the checkpoint's only, like, maybe a minute back from that. Yeah. So it's almost just, like, an apology. Like... <laughs> The environment loops. Like there's so many. The enemies are totally inconsequential. Like they don't. They might as well not be there. And like it's just such like a dumb, stupid thing in this game. And then you look at in within the tutorial of Nier, you do like a shoot 'em up section and a bullet hell section. There's like it's a shoot 'em up, both a side scroller and like a top down Galaga style, and then a mech combat section. All of which play way better in the mech i think is the the direct like comparison here because it's like a behind the back you're going forward and fighting enemies thing Mm -hmm. and uh it's like they clearly got better at that style of thing between 2009 2016 as you would expect and uh it is things like that sort of brought the game down for me i I have to agree I, i mean about those specific points pretty much anytime i wasn't either fighting people my size on foot or something giant sized on foot yeah. i felt like i was the game was just wasting my time a little bit <laughs> uh, like it, it was so great when you were actually playing the mechanics that the game was designed around and marketed around but like i don't i don't care about like the angel bullet game or whatever that was oh, yeah. Made you angel, the angel attack yeah uh, those i agree those sections were weird and I didn't know if I was doing them right and like you know stuff like that but like I did once again just totally bought into this game all like flaws and all like I was enjoying that part even though it was easy and I I didn't know really what was going on mechanically at all. Yeah. Well, I feel like it made it easy to compensate for the fact that uh, oh, I was like, yeah, on a motorcycle. <laughs> they made it easy to compensate for the fact that it's a little broken, but it also adds to that, I guess, like the power fantasy aspect of it because like you are just like sliding under a tractor trailer on a motorcycle, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm so awesome, mm-hmm. even if like what you're doing is like the like you're literally holding one. Button. Yeah, and not doing anything else. Uh, I, I had the same sense in which I often tried to give the benefit of the doubt in these segments. It, I, I just thought that the the motorcycle one in particular was kind of bad because of how long it lasted. It's, it's that and the aerial missile very, fight. Yeah, the, the weird missile. The missile fight, thing. I thought, conversely, I had a good time with. Like, I don't think it was as good as just playing the base Bayonetta video game. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that as in terms of the, like rapid fire schizophrenic differences in kind that this game like wants to do yeah it was the best one i thought it was still a little bit too long also i feel like mm. i'm a little bit spoiled by Star Fox 64 yeah any yeah or, you know any like <laughs> shooter game at game. all yeah <laughs> i just I, I i remember there was a period of time in like the final boss of that sequence where i felt like i was getting actual motion sickness because i couldn't figure <laughs> out 
how if they're like I assume you can't you can't both dodge and fire bullets. So I just kept dodging and dodging oh, the on the dodge. missiles. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's so there's a bunch of camera movement too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the yeah the dodge was a little bit like yeah was uh and oh yeah and that even brings me up to the uh, the final boss of the game at the end of the. Okay, this is, I guess, a lie. Spoiler, <laughs> the not-final boss, portrayed as final boss of mm-hmm. the game, ends with, a like, a totally new steering a bullet, <laughs> <laughs> like, around some shards of glass. Dude, that was a great example of the kind of bullshit they tried to do with all these games. That was the one that I thought worked, because it lasted, yeah. like, 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. You didn't need anything explained. There was no yeah, tutorial. it took you just long enough to realize what was happening. Yeah. And then you're <laughs> well, like, oh, okay. Well, because I've seen that shot before. Like, uh, that, like, thing happening happens a weird amount. Like, I can point to examples in, like, Kill Bill, uh, during the anime section, and in... Uh, uh, Wanted does this like every eight <laughs> seconds where they just like stick the camera onto a bullet and shoot it and you're like, oh, it's like on the bullet. And so I just thought it was a cutscene. Oh. And then like it got, it got to the pane of glass and it just went right through it. So I don't actually know if there's a way to fail that. But I then realized that I was supposed to be doing something and proceeded to steer it into the guy's dumb face. But it's so weird. And I guess kind of tutorializes is the part where you have to punch the actual final boss into the sun, which is equally easy and goofy, but I think in that instance pulled it off and made it really really good, mm. whereas the previous one was like unexpected, didn't make a whole lot of sense, and was like confusing just from the outset, at least for me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I give it a pass because like you said it's 20 seconds. Like, I'm not going to complain about 20 seconds unless it's me running with the Nightmare Headstone. Oh, yeah. Right. So. <laughs> Did either of you guys uh, fail the throwing into the sun minigame at the end there? No. You please, can you fail can... that? <laughs> uh, if you hit a planet. I thought, okay, when that, when that minigame started. Well, let, let me just destroy all the planets here. Yeah. When that uh, game you started. Did you on, like, Meteor, like, Sephiroth? <laughs> You had to destroy all the planets on the way to the sun. Yeah, that's what I thought was the like most extreme end to how this was going to go. I thought it was yeah, okay. I agree. You run through every planet until it hits the sun. I never made the connection that one of those planets was Earth because I yeah. hit like Uranus and then like, got the fail. Well, the uh, fail's pretty great too. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, because the planet, whatever planet you hit, explodes. I'm, I asked you guys because I was hoping one of you two had the balls to throw it into Earth or something else. I considered it, but after that boss fight, being like. That boss fight was so long, I got up to take a leak in the middle of it and came back to finish the, the boss. So, but yeah, when, when you hit the planet, it like does the explosion animation, and I was really concerned at first, because they make a big deal with the explosion, so I thought, like, oh no, I just, I got the shitty one now. I didn't throw it into the sun, which is clearly the cool one, I just threw her into Uranus, which is the lame one. But right. then it turns out but she's... Sur- funnier, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It turns out she survives and has this, like, w- like god, which is previously, like, un- Characterized of the whole fight has this weird like like suggestive smirk and then just like a jump off back toward the camera to you and then you get the game over. Uh. So it was a weird moment of characterization <laughs> for the god antagonist. Right. But yeah, otherwise that's what happens when you fail that sequence. I'm really glad that they uh, didn't uh, that what they did was just give you a game over. Because do you remember the boss? 
uh, it's one of the bosses that has like the whole chapter dedicated to it, where it's like a it, it's like a boatman. Oh yeah, uh, boatman. Yeah, <laughs> boatman, boat shark. <laughs> so when you're fighting uh, the boatman. If you fail one of the quick time events while trying to steer him into the the demon, spider, yeah, yeah, uh, you just pop back and like you hit one of the faces a couple of times. So it's like a super easy version of the original challenge, and then you retry the quick time event. Yeah, uh, it would be so stupid if you threw God into Uranus, <laughs> and then it like. Goes, uh, jumps back, and then you have to like break one of its hair tendrils, and then like activate the climax again. That would have been like the most, I guess, part in the play on words anti-climactic <laughs> climax in the whole game. Yeah, God, it was so lame when I just blew up this planet instead of actually <laughs> finishing the game. Yeah, then canonically, any planets you destroyed on the way there would actually be destroyed in the Bayonetta universe. Well, the moon's already gone, so this game doesn't really seem to care about, you know, celestial body permanent destruction and the implications of those things. Yeah. As far as... Because I was feeling moderately negative, like, hovering around average on this game mm -hmm. uh, during a lot of the end, um, brought down pretty significantly by the, like, 25-minute-long cutscene before the Chapter 16 boss. Mm -hmm. Uh... Up until then, and at, at a point there, I really should have just skipped the cutscene because yeah, I stopped yeah. paying attention after a few minutes. That sounds like skip time, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that final boss as a whole brought the game way up. Like, I thought that the actual, like, epilogue boss was just, like, was the exact, like, level of outlandish camp <laughs> that this game should be going for at every minute of its playtime. Yes. Yeah. It, the... The presentation of that whole final sequence I thought was really wonderful and pretty. I, I said, it's not my favorite moment of the game, but that's just because I like the one-on-one -on -one fights like so much more comparatively. Uh, the, the fights with uh, your red sister and yeah, uh, Jean. It's particularly uh, those like two like fire and lightning guys. Yeah, those are pairs. Yeah, mm -hmm. they were always super engaging mm. because I always felt like I was being tested to the max of my ability. Like I never had a pause moment in the way that you always can against other bosses, where you're anticipating them and their charge ups are so long. Mm -hmm. I like this game when the things that you are facing are also at their most frantic and forcing you to just dodge all over the place and do all that fun stuff. The big guys were cool for a spectacle and they did a good job of avoiding a lot of the pitfalls with like huge monster enemies that often happen in, vi in video games i think the only right. like big creature that i didn't like fighting was that sky snake where i feel like they, uh, they allowed themselves mm. to make some of those mistakes where you're just most of the time you're sitting around waiting for it to do a thing while you just like aim a gun at it and walk sexily in I'm, a circle. I'm actually amazed at how different our opinions on yeah. this are actually while i was playing uh, i was like the, these like Jean fights are like exactly the kind of thing JJ loves. Yep. And I'm like these monster fights are exactly the kind of thing that Chad. Loves. <laughs> Why do you think I love the Jean fights? That was perfectly well, well characterized. I think. <laughs> well, because that's. I feel like we've had this like conversation before, where it's like your favorite kind of bosses in games are oh. ones that are like have like similar skill sets to you. Yeah, they're like duels. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which, in my And I lean more towards JJ's side. I liked the duel kind of fights better. Yeah, I, I think that that is very true in Dark Souls. <laughs> I think that in Bayonetta, uh, the duels come off as, as not good. 
Because <laughs> uh, I, I also think that the the big monsters were handled really well, with the exception of the the cherubs or whatever they're called, the the giant guys with the axes with the weak point on their back, oh. because they're just sort of like. And they just keep, they're like a really frequently recurring enemy, and it was always like a downer when they showed up. Because there's nothing particularly interesting about them. Yeah. They never put them in an area where you can't avoid them while you kill everyone else. So it's always just like they swing an axe, you activate which time, you attack them for a while. Yeah. And then, yeah. They're, I mean, they're more challenging before you unlock air dodge, but if you're like a thinking man, you unlock air dodge immediately. <laughs> yeah. And never look back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the I, I thought the duels were... The Jean duels specifically were uh, a point of contention for me. I never felt like I was beating them by like uh, any sort of strategy it was always just sh- sheer force of will as i just mashed the y button over <laughs> and over again to start a combo so long that she would just stop dodging and get stabbed and then otherwise i was just like avoiding things which inconsistently would or would not activate which time and it was i don't know they were more frustrating than anything else you gotta play along with their games man you can't if you try and brute force it and and just punch 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 and go straight through her you never have the fun of that sort of like weird sequential dance that is the best thing about most duels in all games where you're just like all dodging around selectively getting in two hits and running away from each other they ruin because anytime there's like an actual moment where it's like the two of you are on equal footing they put a Mario Party ass quick time event where you have to hammer the Y button. Well, that only happens when you both use the same attack at the same time. I never picked up. She uh, must yep. have spammed the Wick- light attack yeah, button. Like, which time activates when you dodge one of her wicked weaves? Mm. Yep. And when she does her final sword slash and she does a sword combo. Okay. I, I'm glad that I imagine we both picked up on the like mutual hit quick time event yeah. trigger thing because it was critical to beating one of the final bosses and birth by sleep yes <laughs> yes it is that was the only reason that i ended up like remembering that at all yeah my I, I fortunately had lots of mario party experience so i knew that the correct <laughs> thing to do is any time that a, a quick time event would come up to put the controller on my knee and then <laughs> use my index finger to just hammer the button as fast as i could so like nearly every one of my uh climaxes in this game were like max bonus mm-hmm. so that was a a thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't like the one-on-one duels. I think the giant monsters are really good, though. I think the bosses are done incredibly well because they're meant to be a spectacle and not to be a significant challenge. Uh, meanwhile, those Druga enemies are supposed to be a challenge and are, and I think work really well. <laughs> except for the one instance in which... They just randomly made them not let you activate Witch Time, which is never explained to you. Oh, yeah. And so when that's, like, how you play this game, it becomes incredibly hard to do with It does. It does. I remember, I think it's, like, the gold plating, I think, might be, like, the weird universal symbol they never tutorialized. Immediately about no after that fight, you fight two big cherub guys who are gold and that you can activate which time on them. Oh, and in then. fact, they, you then fight two gold snakes <laughs> who you can't damage unless you're in which time. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it, it's not that, yeah. but it is those golden ones yeah. because they show up twice ever. 
Yeah, that's something the game doesn't do very well. And because it's so fast-paced, you never, like, take the time to figure out what's going on. Yeah. For all I know, like, like, there there were just those two enemies. I couldn't do witch time. (laughs) Whatever. Especially since it's a a skill-based thing. So at least the first couple of times you think that you've just missed the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that could end up with you getting pummeled in the face. But I agree, it is because it's fast-paced. Like, you could be like, oh, well, if the enemy has a mustache, then you can't activate witch time. Yeah, it's like, like I might never fight this that. enemy again for the rest of the game. I don't know if I need to worry about this. Yeah. <sighs> so what was your favorite big guy boss? Uh, favorite big guy boss... Uh, hmm. My favorite big guy boss to fight in terms of how it, like, looked and felt was probably the tentacle guy who you would like dodge out of the way and then run off the tentacle and cut it off. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. Though I think my favorite actual boss fight was uh, the first big boss, the one that is in like the Colosseum. Dragon face? Yeah. Dragon face. Yeah. Because the dragon face mini bosses are like some of the worst parts of the game. Uh, <laughs> like where like the cathedral one in particular is really irritating because like you just like the whole first part of the fight is you just running left and right over and over again. Mm-hmm. But then when you fight the full man, the full dragon man, mm-hmm. maybe he was just a dragon. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, that was actually really enjoyable. I agree. It was, if I remember right, it was the first like real spectacle boss that they throw at you. That's like a full ordained fight. Yeah, so everything that was happening was constantly surprising. Like even like the, the silly Mario party quick time events that have since gone out of vogue. Uh, always, I never knew when they were coming, and I didn't have expectations about what sort of things at those fights would cause me to have to do stuff like that. So it was always every cutscene that triggered for a few seconds was a surprise. It just really felt cool the whole time, and it was also yeah. one of the first challenge spikes where I had to retry it like three or four times. Yeah, and the uh, in the uh, quick time event that you get there is just like ripping the dragons off <laughs> <laughs> its face. So. It's super hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> For what it's worth, uh, in defense of the quick time events in this game, uh, hopefully we'll eventually play a game where I can't defend the quick time events, mm-hmm. and we can just flatly say that they're bad. I think that there's actually a physiological reason for them being in this game because I think they want you to always just be tensed up. Yeah. Like, physically, like, Mm -hmm. your muscles should be tense Mm -hmm. in order to facilitate, like, a fast reaction time. And those keep, because you have to mash the button, keep you, like, actually doing something and doesn't allow you to, like, rest and and let the the blood flow back. (laughs) Yeah, it's, like, I think that this game probably implements quick-time events the best out of any game I've ever played, personally. Uh, I still think quick time events suck. <laughs> yeah. But, um, cause like, if you failed one, you could immediately retry it. Yeah. Like, the iteration time is really good. And they have, like, that God of War thing going for them where, like, what's happening on screen and the action of mashing the button just, like, go together pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the previous game that we talked about with Resident Evil 4, like, there's nothing exciting or intense about pulling yourself up onto a ledge. Right. But you have to, like, hammer the X button to get up. Yeah, and if you, like, missed uh, one on that minecart thing, you yep. had to do the whole thing again. Yeah, is... meanwhile in Bayonetta, you're just like, uh, oops, <laughs> let's right, right back into it. Bring out the demon fists. <laughs> Pretty sweet fists. Yeah. I'm curious if you guys settled on, like, a weapon that you liked a lot, or if you switched out for different situations. 
Or if you just didn't unlock any of the weapons. I I mean, I unlocked <laughs> a few of them. I realized now in retrospect I must have missed many pieces of LPs. Because I, I realized that I have a couple of like segments that never got completed. Yeah, they're 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 all contained like within a level. Mm-hmm. So there there are a few there are several that I didn't get either. Okay. I don't know what they are exactly. But I think all I got were the katanas, the elemental claws, and the shotgun. And I remember trying out it because I got them roughly at the same time: the shotgun and the katana. Mm. And felt like I was no longer playing Bayonetta and then switched back. I know this is a really stupid thing to have. Like, obviously, you're still playing the game. They put those mechanics there intentionally. But, like, I can play so many fucking games where I'm a guy with a sword who does this shit. But I really liked a lot of the ways that they sort of bled bullets into all the activities that you went into in Bayonetta. Specifically streams of bullets. And switching either the katana... Or switching one of the regular handguns for shotguns made me feel like that uniqueness that it was bringing to the table was being detracted from. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun feeling like even if I missed a punch, I could just hold it down now and instead like auto hit with a million bullets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a really good mechanic that yeah. I loved. I was the exact same way. Like I tried the katana and the claws, I think, and was like, this feels like ass <laughs> in comparison <laughs> to the guns. And I just used the guns the whole time. Oh, you see me play a little bit of this game. Yeah, I was surprised you were using the katana, because that was, like, by far my least favorite weapon. The, the katana was the only weapon that uh, I felt, like, really... Like, I felt more comfortable with the katana than I did with her, like, default fists. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reason for that is because it's a weapon that allows you to kind of always be doing something. Which I guess is kind of a stupid thing, considering <laughs> you can always be, like, shooting guns and whatever. Mm-hmm. But if there's an enemy that's, like, a distance away, the katana has this... Okay, it's broken. It's just cheesy and broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, charge attack, where if you hold it, you like build up a charge, and then if you hold it for like uh, an abysmally long time, you like deepen your stance, and it makes like a shing noise, <laughs> and then like you will just cleave dudes in half, and it's a huge area, so you can just like clear an entire room with one attack, uh, and it's a little bit ridiculous. But for the most part, I just like the. Uh, the range and the fact that it had lots of like very long reaching forward attacks. Mm. Plus when you're fighting a boss, you get a cool like spirit sword. Uh, <laughs> oh, like that's like an extension of the sword itself. Um, that would look cool. So that's pretty rad. That, that does solve one thing that I was looking for consistently through most of the game, which is despite buying a lot of different techniques, I never felt like I had the like long range engage- engagement move that I was hoping for. And then that, became moot after I got the, uh, turned into the, the runny dog. Oh, yeah, the yeah. panther. And I used it as sort of like a substitute. It wasn't obviously an aggressive substitute, but it yeah. was, I could now you always could chain, be in melee. You chain that into attacks. Yeah. I know, I know. The, I, the, the, the thing that you're actually looking for is, uh, the, another weapon, uh, that's a whip. And it has, like, a crazy long range, but does, like, very little damage. Mm. I experimented it for a while, both on hands and feet, and it didn't seem to do much um, either way. The thing that I kind of settled on was I had katana in the top hand, to in the hands, plural. <laughs> and your top hand. <laughs> you know, your top hand. <laughs> and then uh, in the foot slot, I used the elemental claws. Um, I didn't... Mostly just because they did lots of damage and your kicks are kind of slow anyway. Mm-hmm. They have a charge attack that, like, leaves a bomb. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody, like, 
blunders into it somehow. It explodes and deals damage, but it's it's so slow and doesn't. It's just not practical. Um, but then on my alternate, I use sword and shotguns. Yeah, I just I liked the ability to just like always be firing the gun. Right. Like it. it I I guess it made me always feel like I was in control when I'm like just always constantly like doing damage. Like where I'm right. thinking, I can just be like holding Y and having her just like casually shoot shit <laughs> yeah uh i mean you still have the basic gun shot tech like the x button when you're using the katana so that was a thing i thought this was going to be a slightly meatier discussion but neither of you liked any of the weapons so i guess there's <laughs> really not much to talk about there it's not a matter of like i i like i said i i experimented with them a little bit mm-hmm. i just loved the gun systems in place so much more that my cut my experience experiment short very quickly yeah i feel like i would have recommended for you to do guns in the in the hands and then shotguns on the boots because shotguns on the boots is actually really nice because if you do like a kick attack that knocks somebody back and then hold the button there's like a slight delay and then a huge shotgun blast and it does like a pretty significant chunk of damage so it doesn't really cut your your combo potential short, but it's it's pretty good. I'm sure that'll be part of the million other things that <laughs> Platinum sort of half expects you to experience when you replay the game. Like, yeah. Because I don't think anyone is like just on the fly switching between lots of different weapons on their first playthrough. Right. I got so attached to the default moves that I can't imagine that other people wouldn't also get attached to something relatively fast. Yeah, like I did with the katana. Yeah. I think that uh, if I did a second playthrough, which I likely won't, but I will play Bayonetta two at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that in Bayonetta 1, and hopefully in the sequel, there is a grenade launcher that I did not unlock. Ooh. And I would totally love to have a grenade launcher <laughs> in this game. <laughs> in this game, and lots of different fighting games, I rarely feel like I understand enough to actively choose between combos at a time. Like, I, I don't feel like I know enough to understand why certain combos are better than others contextually. Right. Uh, so... And it's, this is one of the things that mechanically puts me off of fighting games, because there'll be this, like, goddamn enormous list that the game clearly doesn't expect you to know, but it's there anyway, presumably to benefit you somehow. Right. It, it, it's yeah. for the people who are going to, like, put the time in. But what is the what do you get for putting the time in is my question. Oh, um, you're, you're talking about specifically in the context of... Bayonetta, not fighting games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do both have that same, like, long-ass list of combos. Right. And uh, to both, I am, of course, ignorant of how do different combos help me at different times. Like, in fighting games, different combos can do completely different things. You can, yeah. like, you can end a combo by firing, you know, a laser out of your eyes or whatever. Right. But in Bayonetta, they're all generally just different chains of variously strength and timed melees that end with a weave. So I didn't really understand, in this game and others why it's beneficial. It's actually tricky, because on some weapons, you actually, your combos won't end with a weave. And so you have to, like, if you need a weave, you have to, like, strategically plan how you're going to go into it. Because I think the main difference between this and a fighting game is that a fighting game does expect you to know that list. Yeah. Like, backwards and forwards. Bayonetta, for the average player, I would say doesn't. Mm-mm. You're um, going to have, like, three or four go-to combos that you use. Yep. Yeah. But I, I have to imagine that it, if you did know the list, the benefit that it would give you is... Because different combos have different amounts of mobility, where you'll go... For, you'll knock somebody further. Some of the most enjoyable 
combat experiences in this game for me were chains where I would start on the ground, be about to end a combo and go into uh, the afterburner kick, Mm -hmm. and then just continue the combo in the air, finishing with like a down move or like with a combo midair or whatever it is. And uh, that kind of a chain is really only possible once you start learning the things that go together and what cancels work. And I think that's just a that is a mechanical level that like I didn't reach, and I feel like most players won't reach. Of course, but the people who are very into it, the people who are getting those platinum medals and pure platinum medals mm-hmm. uh, on the hardest difficulties of the game, have to know that and have to plan strengths that the combo just never drops. I think that's what it is. Okay. Chaining makes sense, because chaining is, would be super rewarding in this game. Yeah. So you want to take a break? Yeah! Like, do you want to break our combo chain and uh, start a new half of the podcast? Don't we need to end yes. with a with a wicked weave of some kind? No. What's metaphorically no. speaking a weave <laughs> that we could find? I don't think there's a... I guess we're like weaving a tail. Mmm. <laughs> you weaving, seem like... We're weaving a discussion. Right. Maybe. So we're, we're taking all tail. of our discussion threads <laughs> and weaving them together <laughs> into this, into a brick, and then we're going <laughs> to cut it. Welcome back from the break. Every once in a while, I want to say more often than I would typically be comfortable with, mm-hmm. Uh, doing a video game podcast comes us makes us come face to face with a topic that I want to say most analytical people are pretty shy about addressing, mm-hmm. uh, which for lack of the desire to use a better term uh, is tits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Please continue, Chad. Please. Yeah, I've uh, done at this point. Probably an embarrassing amount of thinking about this, mm-hmm. given how like little the developers seem to give a shit. But you're in good company among people who have put unbelievable amounts of time into this. Into game. thinking about games generally, and in this uh, instance. Myself included. My notes page is testament to the, the like at literal sleepless nights. Uh, it, it just says boobs like, a bunch of times in a row in his notes. It's just like a whole bunch of pictures of Bayonetta cosplayers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is the level of sophistication and tone you can come you to can expect, expect. <laughs> from discussion of sexual issues on the No Clip podcast. Well, that's the thing is because this game is probably the game that we've played that has made the biggest uh, deal about it. I think this game is the cl- is the game that most borders on. I, I think that using the term pornographic is like a significant overstatement, given this Agreed, game. agreed. Uh, it, it borders on tastelessness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, though. It full-blown <laughs> dives into tastelessness. <laughs> and there's definitely an argument to be made that that's the point. Yeah. Um, Luckily, most of the games that do that are, are terrible games, so we never <laughs> have to talk about them on the podcast. Right. This is a very important and notable exception. Yeah. This yeah. is no lollipop chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. No dead I, or alive extreme beach volleyball one, two, oh or three. Jesus, that's a whole nother ballpark. <laughs> that's a whole nother volleyball park. Yes. <laughs> uh there are two things that came up earlier that I uh wanna revisit here before we get into this topic. Uh the first one being uh <laughs> Andy bringing up a quote from uh mm. the series creator 
Hideki... Kamiya. Yeah, Kamiya. Actually, I wrote his name down so that I didn't forget it. Uh, <laughs> um, and it was, like, not an objectionable, horrible quote. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty uncommon for him. And then the other one being uh, you saying that you did not play Bayonetta initially because uh, your only television was in a public space. <laughs> and I think that both of these shine a pretty significant light on what the issue, the perceived issue is here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bayonetta is a very, like, is a intentionally sexually charged game. Uh, And it's pretty evident through the animations, which are so good, as we talked about. (laughs) Uh, Bayonetta's choice of of, of outfits, multiple, if -hmm. you unlock them uh, throughout the game. And uh, I want to say most damningly their decision to make her entire outfit out of hair. (laughs) Because at no point does that make any sense whatsoever except as an excuse for her to be naked. It's actually based on like some kind of European folklore where like witches would use their hair to cast spells. Which is fine, but... No, no, the I totally agree, but, like, there is, not... a, there is an inspiration for it. Right. Being like, they use their hair to cast spells works, and works in the uh, in the context of the game until it becomes also her clothing. Right. <laughs> Which is where you're just like, hmm, couldn't, like, just put on some pants? <laughs> is that not an option? She has golden chains, which is enough. She has, yeah, I mean, golden chains are... That my wardrobe of choice <laughs> on uh, every possible occasion. It's my preferred underwear. Yeah. This golden chain. <laughs> so, as evidenced by this discussion, I think, mm-hmm. uh, seemingly pretty ridiculous, and I think, in this context only, not really harmful. And intentional in the way that, like, schlock cinema is grindhouse cinema i've seen this game on more than one occasion compared to uh faster pussycat kill kill and i think that that is actually like a super apt comparison taken on its own with no outside influence yeah my biggest comparison with this is i think bayonetta's got like a case of the harley quinns uh because it's like the sexuality is so baked into the character uh, like, you know, they could release an issue of Harley Quinn's standalone comic or whatever where she just prances around the whole thing in her underwear. Right. No one would bat an eye. <laughs> but, like, because it's just, it seems in character. Right. And then, but if people have been, like, upset about, like, when they draw Wonder Woman with too much cleavage and, like, they, people made such a fuss about her costume that they gave her pants for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, like... You, it's so much a part of the character that, like, you start to, like, once you get to know the character a little, you perceive her doing all those ridiculous sexual things as things she wants to be doing. Right. And it kind of melts away. But, you know, like, if somebody were to just walk in and see you playing the game, it oh, does yeah. not look like that it's at all. It's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. it is oh, embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Out of context, this game uh, is and probably will always remain, like, something that could just be construed as like that pseudo-pornographic appeal that you were talking about. But, and I alluded to it earlier when I was talking about that scenario you brought up where my only TV was in a public space. Right. I 
this game, for the most part, actually changed my mind on that perception. I, I really, I did a lot of looking into this topic, and honestly, out of all the times that I've, like, looked into various, like, objectification and, like, sexism discussions, like, in or outside of the philosophical literature, I really think that this game is one of the most, like, interesting locus points of discussion. Like, the, the kind of things that people talked about around the time the, like, original Bayonetta came out, about, like, whether or not this was, like, positive or negative imagery, the kind of issues that can resolve around creating a fictional character based on having these sort of, like, sexualized components. Right. Like, what you were talking about before, Andy, how her character, it seems so... They design her in such a way that it seems normal and consenting mm -hmm. for her to yeah. behave like that. You feel like Bayonetta's in charge. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. most, most of the time, I don't think it's universal. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think part of the distinction between that is whenever Bayonetta is doing these things, it's you have an in-narrative conceit for the behavior. Like, it's when she is doing, like, the crazy pseudo-stripper stuff in the middle of her, like, ridiculous combos and stops for a snap, like, snapshot for a second at the end of it with, like, a wink and a nod. It feels like it's something that she is doing, mm -hmm. but there are times during a lot of the pre-rendered cutscenes when the camera work will focus around and you no longer have that, like, in-character excuse about what's going on. Like, you get the idea that, like, maybe she wouldn't care one way or the other, of course, but you still no longer have the excuse with the camera work of that it's, like, something that the character having agency of and in personality with that person is doing. Like, it doesn't feel like Bayonetta is doing anything anymore when you have a prolonged crotch mm -hmm. shot like that. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just male gaze at that point. Yeah. yeah well, the game and, plays male gaze so hard that you can just imagine, like... But it's really only in the cutscenes, though. Like, I was gonna bring up that same it, point. It's, it's in the cutscenes, but if you in include in the cutscenes every time that you use, like, a finisher and in I the would. game... I would. I mean, that's fair. I think that there's a really hard black bar between the game itself and considering the game anywhere outside of it, within its own context. Mm -hmm. I think that once you bring it, it becomes like a creator versus the work situation that you can bring up when you talk about something that's, uh, that like Konami makes with, uh, like one of my favorite game developers of all Kojima. time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kojima. Uh, where he clearly, is kind of a gross dude, mm -hmm. but, like, I like what he makes, and so I choose to sort of blind myself from that aspect mm -hmm. of it, which is in itself problematic, but the, the the thing with Bayonetta is it's so much more cut and dry, because <clears throat> reading interviews, Kamiya comes off as a total fucking sleaze. Oh, like, yeah. He just is misogynistic in his behavior, and... It, when you, as soon as you put that on, uh, like that light on it, and you're like, "Well, Bayonetta is a fictional character." Bayonetta doesn't have choice in what she's doing mm -hmm. because Bayonetta is not real. Bayonetta is essentially a personified version of this guy's vision, and it becomes so much worse when you when you think of it like that. You can choose to to yeah. look at the work and say. Bayonetta is a powerful female character, and I think that that's fine, but I, the difference, if you find Bayonetta to be disgusting or empowering, is going to come a lot down to personal, like, how it actually makes you feel. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just feel as though I can't make that jump. Yeah, it is like a messy kind of personal 
thing like with artist intent but like i'm i'm firmly in the camp that like artist intent doesn't really matter unless you're analyzing it like we are right now right there's something also really important to bring up that that often came up in these early discussions about what was going on in which there were a lot of people talking about when bandana first came out that kamiya was for the most part, as the director, just like the okay guy. He obviously had a vision, but with any game, there's so many different branches that go off, and he's the one who just grants approval. There's lots of, you know, cookers making this meal here. Sure. Uh, and one thing that's often pointed out is that there's a the actual original character design for Bayonetta, like the first concept work, was actually done by a woman named Mary Shimazaki. Yes. Uh, and I started looking into her work a little bit, because I was curious if this is a situation, because after I got through the game, and while working through it, I felt like there was this tension going on between the people who were wanting to make Bayonetta this like weird, sexualized, empowered character, like this like this like owning exhibitionism thing that generally isn't represented in media at all, let alone in video games. Mm-hmm. And I was curious if like she was part of the source of this, because her actual like physical design is it, it's interesting to compare it to other things uh, that are normally like hyper sexualized games. Uh, because her outfit, though being skin tight, is not suggestive in the way that it normally is in games like this. Yeah, it's not like, female armor. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. She doesn't actually show as much skin, and the times when she does are normally like selective cutscene things, where I feel like there's other agency issues coming in. Uh, she doesn't have as much of a chest as a lot of characters like this. There's no like boob physics going on or anything. There are boob physics in the game, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, they do. And not only that, the worst offender is is the uh, is the joy enemy. Oh, if I you use a, yeah. If you use a torture attack on Joy, it like the camera literally just like stays in place as her character model is placed on top of this thing. I was talking about yeah. Bayonetta yeah. specifically though, because these the person that I'm interested in. Because the interesting discussion isn't like whether or not there's sleazy shit in this game. There's sleazy stuff all over this game. It's the sort Joy of, being a great example. Yeah, it sort of taints the whole... And as a like a, a slight asterisk to what you were saying before, while I agree with it mostly, mm-hmm. the Bayonetta's whole thing is, uh, is, is sexuality, but it's tinged with BDSM. And that sort of like skin-tight leather outfit that isn't necessarily revealing, but is suggestive, is part of that as its own sort of level of sexualization. Totally agree. And to complete the, the thought about her character designer, it, what was interesting was when I started looking into the other designs that she made, the other things did not in any way fall in line with like the portrayal that you hear people talk about online about like, oh, it's, this is clearly a woman made this. This is a woman trying to make an empowered woman. The rest of her designs are like generally, as far as I saw, like par for the course, sort of like video game just, you know, sexualized skins, mm-hmm. lots of mini skirts, lots of the same stuff that we're generally used to in the medium. So I don't think you can use that as a cop out. But given that, like, I came away from this game thinking that it was like a really good movie made by the shittiest person. <laughs> I was so surprised how often I ended up like enjoying what was going on on a presentational level, how like believable I thought a lot of these like completely ridiculous characters end up being and how much I was willing to buy in to Bayonetta as a person as much as she seemed to be buying into herself, despite the fact that if I ever took a step back, if I ever like allowed myself to get away from this game, I know the real reason that so much of that is there. And that I think is a lot of the like pragmatic reasons that can, we can use to differentiate 
like sexualization that can be like a neutral or positive force from sexualization that's a negative force. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you look at a lot of the things that people often complain about, the problem is how that sexualization interacts with who the character is. And that's why we get problems of like when people have discussions about that tracer outfit that got removed recently. It was an it was a or no, no, outfit. Yeah, victory pose. The pose pose. Yeah. Where the, the problem isn't necessarily like specific sexualized content. The problem is how the context around that con content makes it like believable or not for the person. Mm -hmm. It's and it's so often it's so clear whenever in games like this when these moments come up that this is only here so that like men can get like a little blush appear on their face. Right. Like it, it, there's no other excuse in so many contexts, even in this game, where you know that the only reason that this is here is that so someone can get a rise out of it. But if there are also times in Bayonetta specifically where I feel like they have built up enough of an excuse for themselves for these things to exist and be entertaining. And there's a lot of people, and you can just look online and see people who go, you know, I would want to be Bayonetta. Like, Bayonetta is, is not just, like, emotionless eye candy. She's also, like, an actually attractive person that people associate positive qualities with. Right. And I think that's generally kind of an accomplishment, despite the fact that those positive qualities were bound up in a nest that one person literally just selected because yeah. he wanted to be his perfect person. Yeah, it is interesting, like, how the character comes off, like, when you actually play the game compared to what you would think just by looking at the box. Yeah. Uh, but and I think like an interesting um, comparison that I was thinking of is Near Automata, mm. where the main character Two yeah, B is supposed to be like a military general or something. Like in that first mission, you're like giving <laughs> commands to this other like soldier, or and like meanwhile she's essentially in like she's a, a French maid, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. sexy short dress. And when you climb ladders, you can move the camera to just look up her skirt. That's kind of like a long-standing game tradition. It, it might as well <laughs> tutorialize it and say, you're supposed to do this. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the same issue, and that's why and, when I created my character in Nier Automata, I titled it Sexy Robot Anime Girl, right. whatever it is that I put. Yeah, and it's like it seems so blatant and in your face and weird in that game, and so much more at home and not nearly as like. It feels more appropriate in this in Bayonetta. I don't think it's like okay, or I'm push, like just like you know. I'm gonna push back on it a little bit because, especially in the opening hours of, of Bayonetta. I felt like it was very much in my face and very much not, like, well contextualized. It takes a long time before the characterization of Bayonetta begins lending uh, a level of credence to the way that it works. And especially the amount of this game uh, in the very early hours and in the very late hours that are tied up in, uh, in cutscenes where the male gaze is played so hard that you can imagine Kamiya just operating the camera one-handed. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's just, like, it's not good cinematography. That right. isn't what I, how I would characterize it. <laughs> right. That isn't an excuse for it. Yeah, the best angle for this attack is probably, like, just directly inside of her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> not generally, uh, like, an often used one. No. Um, 
And, like, that that kind of a thing, and the outside, that's why I just, I've been kind of skeeved out by it the entire time that I was playing it. Mm. Um, yeah, see, for me, it was only ever in the cutscenes. Like, I felt like during the gameplay, it like, the cameras never, like, swivels or is posed in a way for, like, me to... For, I felt like for me to, like, be looking at how hot Bayonetta is, like, right. it kind of melts away and I'm just playing a game. Yeah. Like, thank God. In the gameplay. And, but, like, in the cutscene, like, the first cutscene, she bursts out of the coffin and, like, it slices across, like, her boobs and her yeah. ass. Mm-hmm. And the clothes fly off. Right, and, yeah. Like, you know, it's so, like, over the top in the cutscenes. And then, but then in the gameplay, it's like, I totally, like, forget about it. It's because we should be so thankful that it's it would be pretty much impossible to play a video game from those camera angles because you know <laughs> that yeah. he would have done that if possible. Yeah, it was, he would have. It would have if it was possible at all. But no, pragmatic impossibility. I, I as sort of like a, a tangent and encapsulation of this, I was going to. I thought back and forth at whether or not I wanted to ask you guys to read this thing that I found before as well, and I decided against it because I felt like I would rather knock. Uh, have this discussion on the cast instead of trying to show you guys information that would homogenize our opinions on stuff. Right. But I highly recommend that if anyone's sort of like interested in this sort of discussion about Bayonetta at all, the best thing that I ever found uh, was a Gamma Sutra article uh, from forever ago when the game first came out, uh, written by a woman named Catherine Cross, uh, that is like just head and shoulders above anything else that I've seen, he's seen someone actually have when discussing, like, the sexualization of, of Bayonetta and uh, the way that, like, she is sometimes portrayed as, like, this sort of pseudo-empowering character and other times clearly just a plaything for someone else's whim. Like, we haven't even touched yet on the last <laughs> thing that I joked to you guys about before I got here, which was that... The, and this really left, unfortunately, a sour taste in my mouth at the end of this game that I really actually enjoyed a whole lot... Uh, which was where they literally just use her and every other female character as like attractive character models that they can just manipulate into this fucking five minute long extended stripping scene like yeah. among every location in the game. Yeah, it's a source filmmaker post on Pornhub. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like it literally is just like they took the character models. And made a shitty music video out of it. Like, because there's no agency in that. There's no excuse for that to exist. There's not something that even as ridiculous as Bayonetta is that she would ever do. Like, all the stuff that she does that sexualize, she does as, like, dramatic flair on top of other things that are her own goals and purposes. She doesn't just fucking sit there for five minutes and dance at a camera. Right. Yeah. It's it's absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That that is a good uh, 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 capstone, I think, is that... Uh, that final sequence. And not only that, like, the whole credits are playing over, like, her on a stripper pole. Mm -hmm. It's like, do I find Bayonetta objectionable? No. Not particularly. I think that uh, there are lots of things that are problematic about it. And even, like, the people that I've read who've given both sides of this argument, uh, it does seem that once you've played the game, you get a better sense of it, but I think that because the percentage of people who are exposed to Bayonetta, uh, particularly after her inclusion in Smash Brothers, versus the number of people who actually play the game, and not just play the game, but play it to about the midway point, where things start becoming like abundantly clear to you what they're going for, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that the I like the ideas that Bayonetta puts across, I think that the marketing, I think that the choice of box art and 
promotional material is problematic. Oh, yeah, the marketing was crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, but uh, the, the one that sticks out to me that I remember from Googling stuff is they had a, a Subway ad in Japan where they had her like... Wait, an ad that is on the Subway? Well, like an on like a, a, subway. a Subway restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had sold sandwiches after the whole... They were like, we had a problematic sexual spokesperson He was like, man, before. like Bayonetta would like footlongs of a certain... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where is this... Oh my, why? Uh, we can't advertise our own podcast for shit. But Ant is apparently a marketing genius with the Bayonetta Subway footlong crossover that I think just needs to happen. No. Bayonetta 3, make it happen. This was a literal subway station oh, that yeah, had an ad plastered on the side uh, that was like her laying down covered in post-it notes. And the idea was that you're supposed to come over and tear the post-it mm. notes off and they were like other written ads. Right. Yeah. That is a really effective marketing idea. <laughs> I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah. That is some crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think, at least for me, one of the more interesting takeaways that even all the discussions that I read on Bayonetta I never addressed fully and directly and certainly never put like a period on at the end of the discussion was how we're going to start treating like purely fictionalized, completely agent-directed, like, fictional characters, like, like actual model-designed video game characters in objectification discussions going on in the future. Because when we're talking about all of these things, we can say, like you did, Chad, that literally every feature of this person was designed. Right. It's not like you're in casting a character in a movie where you're reducing a real, actual person into whatever this, like, fantasized conceptualization of women that you have is. That it has was often, historically, been a lot of the focus of the objectification debates in the literature. Like, all the stuff that, like, Daniel, Dan- Daniel Dennett was having with, like, Martha Nussbaum and all the other sort of, like, pre-feminists that she sort of also elaborated on that was all under the assumption that you were dealing with like actual human beings who were right. being reduced to this stuff but now we're we have the ability to just create believable fictionalizations of people with realistic animation and and voice actors yeah mm. so we can literally just like create the person who owns their sexuality even when the person who created them is doing it purely for their own pleasure and I don't know, like, the, the definitive answer to that question. I, like I said, I, there, I don't think there was, I found anything that really just finalized this discussion about how we're supposed to treat circumstances like this going on in the future. Right. But it's super interesting, and I'm glad Bayonetta raised the issue. That is probably the most positive spin on it that I could possibly have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, I, and I think honestly, that's that's about as like we're not gonna come up with the like definitive response to this on mm. this podcast right now, particularly considering we do this with no like for discussion. Right. So, <laughs> like at no point during this are we going to like hit a breakthrough that we have written down. Uh, <laughs> but Chad checks his notes. No, I, I was like, oh, do I have like a definitive answer written down? <laughs> nope, just uh, some comments about the map screen. Uh, <laughs> so, are we getting back to, uh, you know, real video games and not fucking feminist agenda, social justice? Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just vomiting, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I think that this leads <laughs> fair enough into the uh, like narrative content of the game. Um, but you guys will probably have to carry that one a little bit. Uh, oh, will we? I do, I do have to at least end this with uh, maybe one of my prime sources of confusion on the issue is that even this discussion sort of uh, saying, like, within the context of the game, things are pretty much fine outside the context of the game, pretty much not fine at all. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> but the the in-game thing, the thing that kind of got me uh, on this, and this all happens in the first cutscene, that's where almost all of my early notes come from. Um, the game begins... First of all, the team behind Bayonetta is a team that is referred to as Team Little Devils. Oh, God, I forgot about that. The game states... Uh, developed and distributed by your naughty friends at Platinum Games. And the game, in fact, opens with one of the main characters taking a leak on the grave of Hideki Kamiya himself. Uh, All sort of pushing it, like, pushing it very close to the Grindhouse territory that I think it would have been safe for them to go to, Mm -hmm. but also really putting a damper... Literally, in the case of pissing on somebody's grave, <laughs> on like any conversation that doesn't like that allows you to take it seriously at all, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the 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 reason I was never able to make the leap from just gross to not gross. <laughs> never happened. Uh, but the game does start with uh, a funeral. Uh, <laughs> Of, I guess, Dr. Robotnik, based on the way that they were (laughs) talking about him and the fact that they referred to him as Eggman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's about the time I lost the plot. (laughs) 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 Like, I had no idea what was good. There was, like, a guy who kind of looked like Reggie Gigas, and I thought he was the main antagonist for a while, and Uh then you kill him in, like, Chapter 5. Yeah. Mm. And the game keeps going. Yeah, the story itself is really not any good okay uh, no. i really enjoyed like the setting and what i'll call the lore <laughs> like the um i liked the their portrayal of angels and how like they were creatures right that was really cool and i liked a lot of the stuff where there would be missions where you would like go through one of those mirrors to like whatever other Paradiso. realm you were in. Yeah. yeah, Paradiso, and, like, everything would be, like, beautiful, like, mm-hmm. angelic fantasy landscape. And I'm like, all of this is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we do more of this and less, like, little child and guy following me? Yeah. <laughs> That's... And I was, like, the, the Paradiso thing was a huge point for me because I thought that those areas just looked amazing. Yeah, oh, it yeah. looks great. Because when you're in Inferno, it's fine. Uh, we've seen lava in games <laughs> mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> Literally forever. <laughs> and uh, But Paradiso is like such a striking uh, visual design that I thought was really strong. And yeah, if we did more of that, mm-hmm. oh, it'd be so good. Yeah, I'm interested to play Bayonetta 2. Uh, just to see what they, where they go with the story, because I feel like you have to lean more into that in a sequel, right? 
<laughs> it's not like Bayonetta has rules that they need to follow. There's yeah, no true. box that true. can possibly contain Bayonetta at this point. <laughs> having, Except for that one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> having not read any actual criticism of this game, uh, I have to imagine the message got to Platinum that they did a yeah. super good job at that particular environmental aspect of the game mm-hmm. and like a super okay <laughs> expected normal job at the other areas. Yeah. So it's like, I imagine, we're speculating on a game that came out three yeah. years we'll, we'll, ago. <laughs> uh, that's probably just something that we'll return to mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah, the, the story... It just gets like needlessly convoluted at the end and it is dragged out in this like one note joke of the girl calling Bayonetta mom the whole time. Yeah. It is one note enough to make to have made me just assume it was true. Yeah, like, well, I actually, and in classic Andy fashion, mm-hmm. saw it coming that it just was Bayonetta, but yeah. as a child. Yeah, I also had that suspicion, uh, but I also thought they maybe... just look too similar. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that character was like super cute and likable yep. in like the first chapter she was in, but then she just <laughs> stayed and said the same thing for the whole rest of the game. Yeah. <sighs> it was literally the entire, the, she only goes away in like the middle of chapter 15. Yeah. And then, uh... You have one chapter, and then she is, like, the reveal. Yeah. I also liked the idea of Luca, but thought, maybe, like, the implementation wasn't that great. Like, the idea that, like, he's kind of, like, her damsel in distress Mm -hmm. is a a cool idea, and he is kind of likable, but also, like, kind of overstays his welcome. Yeah, he's, like, barely likable. Yeah, he's, yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. He is uh, edged over the line of just a non-person. For no reason, he's got, like, a grappling hook. Yeah, yeah right? Like, they kept, kept stepping him up. I was waiting for an endgame reveal where it shows that, like, he's, like, a Lumen Sage or something. Because he kept getting out of circumstances that were so beyond, like, human capacity. What, was he, yeah. like, a detective or something? Yes, he's yeah. just a detective. Yeah. That's all he is, like, a normal P.I. Well, this is, like, how Frank West is a playable character in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can, like, have a fist fight between the Hulk and a photojournalist. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like... They, they don't like, have, uh, like, a justification for that. Yeah, it's just like, we're just gonna make it kind of like, work. injustice does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, justice has a justification. NBC, no, no such nope. thing. Uh, yeah, Luca was... A, I did... What I did expect to happen that didn't happen is what happens in every single Resident Evil game, where, like... During that last section where you think he's dead because he falls out the window, mm-hmm. I thought that during the boss battle he was gonna like roll in in the helicopter with like a rocket launcher. Mm, that I was like, basically exactly what would happen if it was Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a thing that's going to happen, and I'm fully expected to, and will not in any way accept any other outcome. <laughs> he shows up in like a spaceship and, <laughs> and like blasts. Helps you blast the, uh, the god into the sun and whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever she was. Well, yeah. The only reason I don't think that that... The reason I didn't call that happening in this game or didn't expect it to is because this game narratively had such an absolute consistent need to, like, never portray men as, like, anything other than, like, evil or complete lumps. Like, right. it was so hilarious the well, way... Oh, Rodin. Oh, yeah. 
But I mean, he's also I guess a demon of some kind. Oh yeah, yeah, evil. He's only he's the evil he's, side. Oh, he's, well, he's like evil or he's evil in the same way that Bayonetta is evil <laughs> mm-hmm. though. I don't know if I don't know if Bayonetta. Let's just this comes off because we're talking in our narrative thing where I also have no fucking clue what was happening <laughs> at any point in the story. She's supposed to be like half good, half evil, right? Yeah, she's, she's not the like literally a devil. Of light and dark. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think that I think it's like an open discussion about whether or not he is evil. But like see, she's evil. It's not even because there are two levels of light and dark in this game. There's the light of Paradiso, which is like. Heaven, mm-hmm. actually, <laughs> the dark of Inferno, which is like hell, actually, and where Rodin hangs out, mm-hmm. and then above in the human realm, there's the Umbra witches and the Lumen sages. Yeah. So they are actually not necessarily associated with one or the other, as far as I could tell. Uh, so, like, Banana falls in like the perfect dead center area mm-hmm. as like a child of that. Maybe not related to Paradiso or Inferno at all. Yeah, but they, in terms of like the white and black that this game puts everything on, I would say that Rodin and Bayonetta share the same like alignment. <laughs> Lawful evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, this kind of, this game doesn't really necessarily paint demons as evil, right? So I feel like. They both kind of exist in a gray area, <laughs> like in like Greek mythology, like just because Hades is like the lord of the underworld doesn't really make him evil. Right. Uh, I think, and I honestly, I think the way that they they sort of the story I think that's what they're going for. Yeah, I don't yeah. think they really convey well, that at all. <laughs> I think what they're going for well, is maybe more that little. they're trying to skirt the issue entirely. Yeah. Because Bayonetta is, as I just said, lawful evil, probably not true, more chaotic evil. She's drawn she's driven forward entirely by her own goals. Mm-hmm. And so the fate of like things like humans are not a concern in this game. <laughs> humans appear in this game as one guy with a grappling hook and translucent shadows <laughs> that move around and are compl- occasionally stumble if you bump into them. And lose their cars very often. Yeah, there are very few cars that survive yeah. this game. Or bridges. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to push back on the like whether or not all these entities are good or evil being an undertone thing. I think it's supposed to be conveyed by visuals like even the angelic angel beasts that you're constantly yeah, fighting I mean, they're kind of portrayed as evil not almost. just not just that but like if you hit them hard enough uh-huh. they will break away into horrible flesh monsters underneath of them yeah like there's nothing there's no person in this whole game where if you don't fight far enough will eventually expose some kind of demonic flesh monster yeah except for maybe luca I really, yeah. I <laughs> really play Fighter is just his insides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really into that whole aesthetic touch, like the idea of taking something that's supposed to be like holy and like revealing that it is like actually like corrupt and terrible. Yep, right. Is always like a really effective. Well, this game it traffics in that exact thing. It's the whole game is just supposed to be transgressive, and. I, it works in the way that I think that it's supposed to work, like a grindhouse movie, yeah. and uh, that aesthetic plays into it. I would like to note at this point, uh, this was my goat milk in Legend of Zelda moment, where I was like, <laughs> "This probably won't come up." So I noted that all of the, like most of the angels, I guess not all, mm-hmm. have an upside down head. And, like, in Christianity, the idea of, like, an upside-down cross is the symbol for the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, like, oh, maybe this is, like, a... Like, 
That that last fact, by the way, I kind of made up. That's what horror movies taught me. Oh, okay. I, I don't actually know that much about like Christian beliefs. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think maybe this is like some kind of symbolism where these aren't like actually angels. They're just like portraying angels. Uh, and I looked it up, and either that's just not true, or literally no one ever thought about it <laughs> because it is not mentioned on the internet at all. <laughs> And that is, so I think that I think, just no imagery in this in this game means anything. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think you're kind of on to something. What, the way I read it is that they, they want to paint it as, like, angels not, angels and demons are not, like, what you, how you perceive them. Right. Like, angels are not all good. There are, like, ones with, like, evil agendas and demons are not all bad. Yeah. Thank God I think demons, it's what they're going for. Like, thank God demons in this setting have the, like, they can only be channeled through hair restriction. Yeah. Because whenever <laughs> they exist, they just seem to be, like, murder creatures. Mm-hmm. It's really nice of them that, they, that the demons can't also go murder creature stuff. Like, you, most of the angels look as though... Like, if they were not attacking you, mm-hmm. they could be considered, like, some sort of, like, awe-inspiring thing. Oh, yeah. Whereas all the demons are, like, a snake, a dragon, a spider. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just a, a, a menagerie of threatening animals. Yeah. And even the angelic creatures are willing to, like, sit down and just, like, have a conversation with people. Mm-hmm. And, and then Bayonetta is Bayonetta shoot them and shoots the them yeah. and then continues to attempt to murder them. So it's not even clear whether, like, they're also murder creatures entirely. Clearly their goals also don't care about humans. Like, nothing in this they game does. They are all right. armed very heavily. They That's are. true. <laughs> dragon arms at times. But to get back to your original goat milk question. Yes. Uh, my reading on this, and I, I actually thought about this, like, relatively halfway through, and I can't believe this came up. It was, like, a one-second thing for me. <laughs> well, like, why all the faces are upside down. Or so many, not literally all. I thought that what, that what they were going for was that... The sky was their floor, so they're like <laughs> peeking down. No, you know, like, I thought about this as well. Like they, <laughs> because they're from heaven, mm-hmm. they would be upside down on Earth. Yes, but then I was like, I'm imagining like that only works if they're like really tall. <laughs> and you can only see like from their chest down through the atmosphere. But then I also realized that heaven is. Uh, within modern religion and also within the game itself portrayed as being like an alternate dimension entirely so even that makes no sense i don't think it's clear i think heaven as an alternate dimension thing only came into existence after space travel became a thing i think well that's what i mean if i'm wrong about this because i might this seems like a thing that could be a bullshit fact right but i'm but well because obviously in this game, heaven is not just way up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty uh, clearly ascribed to the the Paradiso yeah. realm in this game. We went up there. There was, like, Neptune and shit. Yeah. It wasn't... <laughs> so, like, the peaking from the atmosphere trick doesn't work, unfortunately. This is true. This is true. <laughs> I know that we both noted the upside-down faces, though. Yeah. It was a weird Somebody decision. has to. Mm-hmm. One thing, narratively, uh, did you guys check 
to make sure that there weren't like secret endings to this game because I did not. I just drove here. Did not even think about it. Uh, unfortunately, same. I didn't think think to do it. Shit, because I had something really cool that I noticed on the second to last chapter that I thought was like a hint for the coming like final boss conflict. Right. That the game in my playthrough literally never touched on ever. Okay. Uh, which is Bayonetta's shadow. Which you normally can't see has wings. Uh, has more than wings. She is like a crazy wings. butterfly demon. I caught this uh, when oh, I was yeah, walking yeah, up yeah. one of the walls, and there was like a platform at a ninety degree, so it just like displayed mm. it fully. I was like, "Oh man, that's going to be her secret ultimate form that comes off in the battle." Literally never touched ever. Right. Yeah. So I have no idea what that means. Uh, but it looks cool. It does look very cool, and yeah, it's never really touched on, other than the fact that like butterflies are like a thing. Except in if you buy the bat within, uh, butterflies stop being a thing. Except when you double jump, because it, normally that's when the when you trigger which time the butterflies come out. Mm-hmm. With bat within, bats come out instead. So the butterfly imagery drops off from pretty minimal to almost non-existent. Oh, that's only true if you're a shit person and only which time when you get hit because that's what makes the bat thing so cool oh, what okay. bat is 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 if you dodge like immediately at the same time that you take damage like a little a little rose pops up on the screen i think as like the window for when you can bat uh, then the damage gets negated and you bat instead of butterfly okay but i think i was just not paying attention to the butterfly particle effects ever mm-hmm. and just assumed that it was a replacement <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that was also a, a cool bit of sort of like not really lore but like design that they added in visually mm. uh i like that they associated the witches with wild animals and creatures mm. in contrast to sort of like modernity and like holy chapels and like lawfulness of all the like good aligned entities right it really ties into the kind of like witchiness that they were getting to where historically witches are always like people off in the forests because you force them to leave town. old hags yeah yeah, yeah. And, and people who were drowned erroneously yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was a cool way to tie uh that in like the like the hair thing in, mm-hmm. into like classical depictions of witches in a way that was cool because yeah. shapeshifters are cool and they were cool in this game <laughs> Uh, I have two more things total, so... All right. Feel free to... Let loose your things. All right. Uh, my one thing I think is maybe dumb, but might lead to a, a thing. Mm-hmm. I think that that when they were making this game, they said, you know what uh, Devil May Cry had? Areas that you walked around in and platforming puzzles. <laughs> And I think they just said, okay, we should put that in our game, and then left it at that. Because uh, all of those sections are terrible, and should probably just not be in the game at all. Platforming puzzles in games like this, while just miserably bad in Devil May Cry 1 because of the fixed camera perspective... Uh, and not quite as bad in Bayonetta where you can look where you're jumping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, just in this game, your movement's too weird to like accurately mm. predict where you're going to land. Yeah. And then walking around feels like totally alien to me playing this game. Because most of the time, you're in an attack. Say like 80% of the game, mm-hmm. you're doing an attack. There are moments in this game where you just like walk down a road 
And it's like, why is this here? It's like just filler. It doesn't, there's not, I mean, there's secrets, mm-hmm. but those were more or less unnecessary for yeah. the large part. I'll agree that the, uh, the platforming bits feel out of place, because, like, her jump physics when you're not, like, fighting things mm-hmm. are super weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Their jump physics are totally based only around combat. Yeah. yeah. But super like, vertical, almost no horizontal. I'm Fast actually drop. a big fan of, like, the, like, walk around and explore an area kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I they, there was an area like that at the very beginning, and, like, very few after that in my memory yeah the the train station one yeah it takes a little while. i actually kind of wish there was a bit more of that personally because i just like that kind of thing like it lets you stew in the world a little bit more oh yeah so if they could that would have required they actually put more of the budget and time into fleshing out the world right so it's probably a good call that they got rid of it mostly (laughs) in this game but I'm willing to withdraw it as a, like, definitive criticism if it's there for someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just didn't really foresee that. It's definitely not for me. I I mean, I think it's also there so everyone can breathe. Like, they had to have something in this game that was not, like, tensed, muscled action. I guess. They weren't going for the same kind of feeling that something like Hotline Miami was, where... It, the, the, like, density of the crazy shit that you do and the density of the pauses are, like, so distinct mm-hmm. that everything, that you just sort of have one breathe-out moment. In this game, they're going for a more traditional level structure where you have different segments of conflict and you have to differentiate those segments with something. You can't make it a row. You can't make them in a row where everything would just feel like an arena fight. And so instead of taking the budget time to develop what that would be, they did the same thing that all other 3D games, like historically when this game came out and before it often did, which was just make the area and then just let them walk between them at their own place. I agree, especially uh, with Andy, that there were lots of situations in which I felt like that walking was good, not just as a breather, but as a way for you to look around at the shit that was happening. Towards the end of the game, I really liked them a lot when you're, like, walking around through those, like, crazy, like, halo rings at different points. Because mm-hmm. those are literally just walking segments for the most part. There's a couple where you're doing with, like, platforms and stuff and has those platforming problems where I agree with the room. They're pretty much shit. But the only, the only time they got really offensive to me was the only time I felt like they were actually a challenge, which was, like, that last bit in the tower where they like vanish rapidly. Uh, uh, that was lame. Yeah. Did you, well, I know you didn't, but did you get Crow Within? Uh, oh, the fly one? Yeah. You can just fucking cheat, can't you? You can just fly all the way Yeah, up. I never jumped between any oh, of those. Like, God. Just right oh, over. So, yeah, I was pretty stingy with my Halo, so yeah. I didn't get a lot of the upgrades. I spent like I got all 30 the key minutes. ones. I I only and then a couple others. I I actually did not. This is uh, this is where we go back to that apology I made at the beginning about being bad at this game. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy a single accessory in the whole game. Me neither. I only bought uh, techniques, and I bought all the techniques. And it, I mean, it was helpful. There are a couple that I know I didn't use because their execution was like awkward as fuck. Yeah. Like there were a few moves that were like execute this by pressing forward on the joystick twice while holding right bumper and pressing Y. I'm like, that will never occur to me to do <laughs> in the middle of a fight. Yeah. Uh, but like the crow one was like a godsend by the end of the like actual game because I just like I was like, fuck these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm extremely jealous of your ability to skip those jumpy segments. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a version of this game that leant more heavily into, like, the angels and 
demons and sages and witches conflict <laughs> and gave me more like cool angelic landscapes to walk around and explore find some lps or whatever <laughs> you know just explore and find stuff yeah. as a breather like for the pacing that would be like ideal at least in my mind anyway lord knows european towns and caves were not like interesting eye candy in this game yeah, yeah. we talked about uh, assassin's creed 2 not too long ago uh, not Assassin's Creed too long ago. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, like, that was a game that took an Italian city and made it, like, visually attractive. Mm-hmm. Like, a thing to behold. Yeah. This game uses it just to, like, bounce a body off of mm-hmm. so that you can keep kicking it. Yeah, it wants you to get out of that setting as quick as possible and into the weird stuff. Yeah. But then it brings you back for, yeah, like, for budget reasons. They, they <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah, they didn't like get to capitalize on it, I think, like they probably wanted to. Yeah, he, yeah hearing that explained uh, makes me realize that I've maybe being a little bit unreasonable just <laughs> wanting every game to be Doom 2016, <laughs> I think is what the problem is. Yeah. I just like, want more arena fights, but this <laughs> <laughs> is walking. <laughs> so, I'm curious, because... I think this is my overall sort of negative opinion sort of floating in. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this can serve as a uh, like a positive outro and uh, just sort of a general discussion on the game. Did you guys have like a high point? Like something that like really stood out to you? Uh, the last fight with Carmen yeah. San Diego. <laughs> What? <laughs> you know, Carmen Sandiego. John. Oh, with her. Yeah. I didn't... Oh, because she's wearing red? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, like, it's fashionable. And, okay. like, sexually attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen Sandiego, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Woodbang. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> that's why you're looking for her. Uh-huh. Uh, A woman who's never you, there. You, you need to know where in the world she is that you, so you can get to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I hated that fight uh, pretty bad. <laughs> the, the, I just wasn't even going to talk uh, about that. But now that you mention it, you know those like quick time events to evade the missiles that like mm. like smacked her in the face. Uh-huh. Uh, I hit one of those ever. Uh-huh. Uh, why is the window for that so small? I don't know. It was really uncharacteristically small for this Really, game. really small. I missed so many times <laughs> and died. And like that was where most of my failures in that mission came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ending was also a high point for me, but not specifically that fight, but like more of like the last like chunk of boss fights yeah i thought were all great and for me this game had like a really steep difficulty curve like where i was just like sucking ass for like the first like third and like once the game clicked for me it was pretty much high points all the way to the end with the exception of like the motorcycle and missile riding things yeah like the goofy little one-off parts yeah but yeah, like once it clicked, I think this game just felt great to me. Yeah, th- this is a game that rewards your mastery uh, pretty pretty well. Well, I was far from mastery. Right. But, uh, <laughs> mastery of normal mode. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's... So when I wrote the... When I took this note originally, before I thought of it as like a thing to put at the end of the podcast, talk about why the game actually does work as a game, uh, it was originally a pretty harsh criticism because I didn't feel as though this game 
had any high points for me. Like, I thought that even the parts I thought were good were all sort of, like, eh, middle of the road. Like, it was a combat encounter I thought was particularly satisfying, but not really memorable. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just you fighting something, and it was a fun time. Um, and I felt that it had really steep low moments. I thought that the the opening cutscene, I thought that the... Uh, big cherub babies who are all over the place were a really low point in that fucking motorcycle section. But then, after beating the game, reflecting on it a little bit, that, first of all, my high point is the final boss. I think Jubileus is incredible. The only, like, nitpick is the fucking black hole attack that kills you in one hit. Uh, turns out you can crow over that and it won't kill you. Uh, Didn't have crow. What do you mean kills you? How does it kill you? The if it's, cr- uh, if it not actually... the one that turns you into a child. Oh, I, did, I didn't think I ever even encountered a different black hole attack. Yeah, You totally did. Yeah, well, it's, I don't remember. It There's is no RNG. way you didn't. I, the time that I beat it. It happened to me so many times. I can't believe that it just w- just didn't happen at all. That is did, it, like, did it suck you? Was it, did it suck yeah. you backward? It, it, yeah. it, it appeared in the middle, and it like just sucked you into it. And if it if it got you all the way to the center, you just died. Okay, yeah. it, happened to me, it happened to me one time, and I never got hit by it. Wow. Yeah, the time that I beat it, it only happened. Anyway, to me I mean, once. like, yeah, like. like it was only a problem the first time it happened, and then right. I knew how to avoid it. So yeah. I usually I got sucked in a couple of times after knowing because I didn't know what the prompt was. Oh, so it's it, when she puts all. It of has her... a pretty obvious tell. Yeah, and I didn't pick up on it the first and time because I just you just jaguar, and then it'll, it won't be able to suck you in. Yeah, or panther or whatever the fuck it is. Dude, whatever it is, I'm super happy that it is that and not like and not like a regular ass like cheetah cat. Like I, I, I'm really happy that the like animal that you turn into that's a running animal. Cheetah too, too, too regular. regular. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 like like regular. Like a stereotypical fast animal. Oh yeah, like like stereotypical like, like animal cheetah. for a girl to turn into in a Japanese game. There is a stereotype. Where like like cheetah, like, <laughs> it's one of them. Like a cat has like normal triangular ears, like a normal like cat of prey. I'm doing a bad job differentiating this. I remember seeing when this jaguar came out. I was like, oh, it's a way more like powerful, cool animal for her to be. Okay. Instead of like this normal generic cat that it seems like all women who shapeshift into cats shapeshift into. Also, she's a witch, so you'd expect her to turn into a black cat. Uh-huh, and right. So you kind of have to either. Go with a, a jaguar panther. or a panther. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really your only options. Yeah, there. they were like, like muscular and cool. I agree. I also like the inclusion of the feature because it allows you to run through the walking segments without <laughs> stopping to smell the roses. <laughs> uh, so that was good. I didn't like how many times I accidentally triggered it while panic dodging. Yeah, but maybe that's just I should stop panic dodging. Yep. Yeah. That mean I learned how to like use that to my advantage and like chain it into combos and stuff. Right. Anyway. But that boss, real good. Really Thank good. you. That was my high point. And I think overall, my opinion on the game is a little bit higher than I had initially thought it was going to be. Yeah. The design of Jubileus, just because I, I don't feel like I can allow that boss to come up this many times without commenting on it, they worked so hard, not just on her like visual design, but on her the progression of her design through the fight, like the way that she like breaks up like a terracotta warrior or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's so great to look at. And the way that they position the camera not only accents her like crazy the universal size, but also allows her 
despite her size, to maintain, to be completely on screen, so you can always see all of her, and always see the way that she's degrading like that. I just thought, it, that was just a really beautiful way to do the character, mm -hmm. and I, he was a huge fan of how that looked. Also, generally, just being able to see the whole boss yeah. Yeah. Uh, is a good thing, and I, that this game does really well. Oh, yeah. There are very few times, with the exception of, actually, my favorite regular boss being that dragon guy mm. where occasionally you'll find yourself on the ground it doesn't really do much yeah like it actually accounts for the fact that you can't mm. see him yeah. uh which is uh, a rarity i guess like yeah. a lot of times things are programmed to just do what they do and if you aren't looking at it you get fucked by it but this game really accounts for that and tries to put everything in sort of a, a cinematic style and it works on that without compromising usability for the most part, which is a success. Yeah, the the like giant monster like boss battles are like where all the positive elements of this game I think really come together. Yeah. In like a complete package where like everything is just like working for it. Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time we're gonna be talking about Square Enix's hip hop RPG, uh, The World Ends With You. Uh, which I've been assured contains hip-hop, because I haven't played it. <laughs> this is just what I've been told. <laughs> Am I cool yet, guys? <laughs> no. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, though despite despite me being not cool, you can do so. At NoClipPodcast.com, you can find our email address, our Twitter. Uh, go to YouTube, go ahead and type in NoClipPodcast, you'll find our channel. And if you aren't already, listen to us on iTunes or on Google Play. Leave us a rating and a review. Yeah. Tell, tell us exactly how cool or uncool you believe us to be. Don't represent that in your star rating, though. Just give it a five. <laughs> yeah. It's going to get that. Because we're definitely not cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we get so, we're like, I love the podcast, but one star, not yeah. cool. Yeah, drop us that five star rating and then just rip on us relentlessly <laughs> in the comments. You will be the, you will be the <laughs> first person to leave us a review with words. And we will read it, you ripping into us mm. on air. We will. I Try really not have. to pick things up off of and put things down on the table. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>